0: Art of the Kickstart, Episode 73. Welcome to the Kickstart.com, where entrepreneurs are constantly pushing the envelope to build businesses of greatness. Inventors are innovating, creating the products of the future. And backers stand strong for what they believe. These are some of the great thinkers, inventors, and leaders of our time. Here are their stories. Today's Art of the Kickstart podcast is brought to you guys by eFulfillmentService.com. I'll tell you more about them later, but they're absolutely awesome. Guys, one of the questions that I've been getting a ton from listeners is how do I know if my Kickstarter campaign is absolutely ready to launch? It's ready to dominate. So you know what? I created a 23-step success guide based off the 80 inventor interviews, consulting that I've done. This will take you step-by-step step through launching your Kickstarter campaign, making sure you have everything that you need to make it happen artofthekickstart.com slash checklist to get our 23-step guide to making sure you're ready to kill it on Kickstarter. Check it out, guys. Hey, guys. Welcome to Art of the Kickstart. Today, I am extremely pumped to have Michael Flarup. Oh, I screwed that up terribly. I even practiced before <laughs> on the program to share the story of Thermoto, of RoboCat, the coolest logo company Ever. Thank you for coming today, Michael. I love your logo. I had to say that before we even got started. Check it out, guys. If for nothing else, thank you for coming. Just to see the golden cat. Just to see the golden cat. That's one of the best logos I've ever seen, hands down. But before we get into all of this craziness, let's get a life quote, a success quote. What do you live by? What do you think others can learn from?
1: Oh, that's so. That's just a tricky question. First of all, hi, guys. and Thanks for having me on here, Matt. I gave a talk at ValueCon in San Diego earlier this year. And I talked about designing for fun, I believe the title was. And I think fun has really been sort of a guiding pillar in my career. I usually I usually tell people to do what they think is fun. It sounds really cliche, but there's just so many things that sort of opens up when you, you actually really enjoy what you're doing and so many opportunities that come to you. So do what you think is fun is kind of my important quote.
0: I don't think there's really anything that's that much more important because honestly, if you love what you're doing, life is gonna be so much more awesome. It's like you don't even work a day in your life versus hating everything that you do. I wanna get into your Kickstarter campaign, how you raised about a third of a million dollars. But first, let's get a little bit deeper into that. Let's get into fun. Tell us a little bit more about you and your background. What you do Absolutely. for fun.
1: Uh, I design for fun, mostly. <laughs> I know I do a lot of different stuff for fun. I like to think that I'm a fun-loving guy. I travel, I've traveled a lot. I have parents that worked in the airline industry traveled for many years. And yeah, I, I, I guess I somehow along that path, I've managed to make my hobby into my job, which is making things pretty, basically, designing things and coming up with ideas. And that has sort of blossomed into this career of, of entrepreneurship and starting things. And I get very excited about starting new things. So uh, and today I even I even get to go out and, and do presentations about it and give talks to people about starting things. So
0: yeah, so you're a starter. You see cool things in the world through the experiences you've had and you want to have fun making them better. What do you decide to go after though? That's one of the difficult things. Before Thermoto, after Thermoto, how do you make decisions on which products are worth going for?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, how many hours do you have? <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, no, but I mean, the company that I started together with my partner, Willie, is called Robocat. And we've been going for about almost six years now. And we've built a slew of cool and weird products in different forms of tangents. I, I think I always I usually say tell people that we're terrible businessmen because we're not very focused or at least historically haven't been. Because we've sort of gone where we thought something was really exciting or fun or whatever that was in our life at that moment. And of course, there's a process where you need to sift through what is fun and what makes sense in the scope that you can actually change something. But I think I really just think that if not, if not you, that's how it's been historically in this company that I founded with Willie is that if enough people around the table nod, then we, we go out and we do something about that. And then we've built weather apps, we've built games, we've built utilities. So it's kind of a, a really a mixed bag of products and also a very mixed bag of successes, really. Some, some has been really successful. There's also been adventures that hasn't that, had that, that big of a financial impact, but might have been meaningful in, in other aspects.
0: That's one of the things is you've got to take those risks, take those jumps, especially on the things that you're interested in. Take us back to Thermoto. So you started this whole business about six years ago. And then about a year and a month ago, you successfully nailed it on Kickstarter. What's the story? Why Thermoto? Why take personal thermometers to the next level from mobile devices?
1: Yeah, I must have told this story about a million times. Yeah, now, keep it short. We were talking yeah, about this
0: before. We don't want <laughs> you to get bored.
1: No. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, what happened was we've made a, a, I mean, people are usually like, oh, it's you guys with the weather apps, which is kind of fun because we have built quite a lot of weather apps. We've built a lot of other stuff too, but people seem to, that seem, really seems to stick in people's mind that we've built, you know, maybe I think five or six different kinds of weather apps. So uh, one of our weather apps is called Thermo. And it's just this tiny little thermometer, a digital thermometer. You tap, the, it's, very, uh, it's made in a, this rich little universe, visual universe. You tap it, you get the temperature outside. And it has almost 5 million users today. So it's kind of a big asset for a small company. And we, we have rave reviews on it. But it was a roughly about four and a half star rating on the App Store for people sort of in the, in the industry. That's pretty good. But we couldn't help ourselves dive in and see like, you know, some of those one-star app reviews. And uh, we came across this one quote from a guy who basically uh, hated the app because it didn't work. He had both tried to measure the temperature in his bathroom and uh, next to his fireplace, and uh, it didn't change. So obviously, this was a waste of time. <laughs> and we laughed at that for a bit because, you know, the app was showing the, the temperature that was aggregated from sort of a, a common weather source, not actually making you know, real-time measurements of the temperature, which he thought so we, we laughed at it for a bit. And then we, we sort of thought, however the pleasing Robocats, how can we solve this guy's issue? And yeah, we, we set out to, uh, to build this little thing, and, which was, became this little ele- electronic thermometer, we teamed up with an electrical engineer. We'd never built hardware before. And we had kind of been, at this point, we'd been trying out many different, we've been notoriously bootstrapped as a company. We've been trying out different methods of funding and or bootstrapping and we kind of wanted a project that we could run on Kickstarter and this kind of just all fell together now, let's try to kickstart this little hardware thermometer thing that we want to try out and then the adventure just kind of exploded from there
0: so let me ask you inventors out there when they're creating products they're always going to get these picky little we'll just call them knuckleheads people that don't use the product <laughs> the right way they're kind of dumb about it and they request all these features how do you know which ones to include how do you know what to go for and what to avoid
1: well, I mean, I think that's a pretty big question, I guess, to keep it sort of focused in, in the context of your podcast, because I think a lot of creators, Kickstarter or other crowdfunding sites sort of experience some form of this. And I think what most backers don't really know or people don't really talk about is actually that a lot of work has been done before, at least for us. And let me just speak on our own behalf. A lot of work had been done before we launched the campaign. We had done all the schematics. We had done the cat drawings. We had uh, made deals with uh, sort of people who could help us produce this thing. A lot of calculations have been made. And then we launched the Kickstarter campaign. And people, they, they, when they back it, they kind of rightly so feel sort of a sense of, of ownership. And that also includes this democratization of, of the ideas behind it. And it can be kind of tricky as a person trying to sort of operate the Kickstarter campaign to ma- manage all these suddenly all these expectations and all these ideas and feedback that you get. And it's kind of hard to tell people that we can't throw everything out that we've worked on, that we can't just change the entire product because this person thinks so or the other person thinks so. I think it, you have to really stay true to You have to sort of try and figure out what is it that you're trying to solve. In our case, it was sort of these instant gratification, take the temperature right where you are. We weren't trying to do many of the other great ideas that came out. You constantly needed to sort of make sure that you stayed on that path.
0: I'm really glad that you brought that up because you can't please everybody. If you try to, you're not really going to please anyone. And that's the problem that too many inventors fall into. But I got a question for you. And it's a what the heck were you thinking kind of question. So you've got a business and you're doing apps, SaaS type products. These are the highest margin things you can create, short of information products or heroin. Why would you go into <laughs> hardware, something that's foreign for you guys, difficult, challenging to execute on? And when is it time for businesses to look at that pivot like you guys did?
1: <laughs> the short answer is because we thought it would be fun. <laughs> I love it, fun. Uh, yes, fun. Uh, the greatest answer of them all. No, I think we're just looking for new challenges. I think we have a habit of just throwing ourselves into these little adventures. And, and even if you look at our previous products, even though maybe the jump hasn't been that big going from software to hardware, we've made lots of different kinds of software. We've made, gone from utility software, we've made games, we've made, we've made uh, uh, products for, for big companies, and we've also just made a lot of our own stuff. So I think we have been jumping around, and hardware was just sort of another jump, another adventure that we went on. I don't have sort of a really good answer to why we exactly did this. It was what was required to solve the problem that we were
0: facing, Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So you took the problems you had and you made the best of it.
1: My question... Yeah, we, we, we figured we couldn't do a software. I mean, there was no real software solution to what we're trying to do here. So kind of figured, like, let's try and do some hardware.
0: What were some of the big challenges you had going from a software company to a hardware company, manufacturing electronics? What were some of the challenges you didn't anticipate, things that just came up?
1: Oh, boy. <laughs> a lot of different stuff. Let's just see if we can pick a few and talk about those. First of all, I think... When you're a software developer, you look at development in a very particular light it's very iterative you you build something, you test your feedback, you test it, you get some feedback, you iterate on it, you change some stuff and it's it's easy to change things easy is a relative term here obviously but compared to hardware it can be it's really painstaking to change things it's where in software, you might want to, you want to change focus, you want to change, you want to add a feature or functionality that might take a couple of days or some late nights building, hammering out that a prototype of that. On the hardware side, it might take a couple of weeks before you actually get that sample from the factory back with those changes. Maybe some other changes happened in the meantime. And so, so that sort of instant iterative nature of software development is very much lacking in hardware development, obviously. So I think that was sort of the, that's the one big difference from those two things. They take a lot longer and they're, um, it's much more uh, expensive and yeah, just attached to a lot of different problems to, to sort of do these incremental changes.
0: There is such that amazing feeling though, when you've got that thing in your head and eventually it's physical, it's tangible, you can touch it and pass it around to people, right?
1: Obviously. I mean, this is one of the big things that I usually try to imbue people with is that Much of the work that, at least much of the work that I do, I'm a digital designer and much of the work that I do is sort of intangible. I sit in front of my computer every day and I draw stuff in Photoshop and I I make UIs and I I, I do flows and and stuff that if an EMP hit, that's sort of the usual uh, argument, or if the internet suddenly disappeared, everything that i would ever worked on would be gone. There would be nothing really for me to show because there's nothing physical in the world. And that's, that's, a, that's really a tremendous sense of realness when you get something that you worked on in your hand. And I believe print artists and many other people who actually build things that exist in the real world, they have this sense that, that there's actually something that has a legacy that exists in the world. That has
0: been one of the nicest things of building a hardware product. So Michael, my next question for you. Like I said, you finished this about a year and a half ago. I'm sure you guys have been running, having fun and doing crazy stuff since then. What's been happening? Where are you guys headed and what's the direction for RoboCap?
1: Yeah, that's again another three-hour question.
0: Oh, I (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. I've got this terrible tendency of throwing (laughs) questions together, especially the impossible ones.
1: No, I mean, it's a great question and there's probably not a short answer for it, but I'll try anyways. When you're done with the Kickstarter, a, a book could probably be written about the time after a Kickstarter campaign is finished and the life after Kickstarter and for us it's been uh, you're, it's you're sort of it's a weird phase for a product because in a way, when you crowdfund something it's kind of backwards because you get a lot of the attention and the exposure up front when you initially present the idea, and then you have this weird mellow period where you're working like crazy and all the backers are screaming at you to get finish the product and then you you launch the product into the world at some point, and it's just that's also a crazy time you get a lot of feedback and then suddenly like it is essentially over you have fulfilled your kickstarter obligations you have delivered all the rewards but now you're sort of left with a bit of a brand and a product that could maybe be used for something else I mean, there's a lot of other people who didn't uh, doesn't you know didn't back the moto obviously so we've been working on, you, you get into this weird puberty phase of the, of the product where you, you're, not really, uh, you can't really, you're not really a startup or in the sense that or you're at least not a, a Kickstarter campaign anymore. And you're not really a real physical product that's in the sh- stores uh, yet. So you're in this weird period where you need to figure out a lot of stuff regarding packaging and distribution, worldwide distribution and setting up a, a proper web shop and figuring out sort of what next steps. Are you going to be making more products? Is there going to be a, more, a deeper product line? Uh, yeah, and all these uh, questions we've sort of tried to address and optimize. And, and we have sold the motors after the campaign has ended. Uh, you can still, if I have to plug it, you can still go to Thumoto.com and you can order the motors from there. And we've been working on that. And we're also sort of working on figuring out uh, what's the next step in terms of hardware from us. Is that sort of a tangent? Is that an adventure that we want to continue doing?
0: That's the huge question. And I never that thought this the- interview would go into business puberty, but I guess we went there. I want to jump to the (laughs) launch round now. How's that sound, Michael? That's fine. Have you ever wrapped up a thousand rewards and shipped them out to your backers when you're pressed for time? It is no fun. Trust me. If you're thinking about running a Kickstarter campaign and you're going to make it big, art of the Kickstart.com slash EFS for your crowdfunding fulfillment. It'll help you make it that much easier. Welcome to the launch round where we take our guests through a series of rapid-fire questions geared towards unlocking the inner inventor and entrepreneur in all of us. Get ready to blast off and unlock your inner potential. Let's do this. Guys, I have an awesome update I want to tell you about. I asked you guys, what do you need? What's holding you back from crowdfunding success, from building the business you all want to build? Overwhelmingly, it was challenges with Kickstarter, launching campaigns, you guys wanted a step-by-step course walking you through exactly what it takes to succeed on Kickstarter. So that's what we're building. Welcome to the Art of the Kickstart launch course. If you guys go to artofthekickstart.com slash course, you can check out and pre-order the course that's going to take you through each and every single stage of running a successful Kickstarter campaign. This is based off of 80 inventor interviews, consulting with clients, and working so much more with crowdfunding. If you want to step-by-step guide to take you through exactly what it takes to succeed, this is for you. Pre-order today or just learn more at artofthekickstart.com slash course. So Michael, first question for you. You're a great designer. That's pretty clear, especially when it comes to software. What are some examples of software products out there, things that have just blown your mind that you try to emulate in your own design?
1: I think there's a lot of software out there that I look up to and that I love using. I think the Tapbots guys did an amazing job of just yeah, of just making cool software that, that sort of had a consistency. One of the things that I've thought was problematic with my own design, as a designer, you're inherently inclined to hate your own work. That's sort of a disclaimer. But one of the things I always thought was problematic was that there's very little consistency in some of the stuff that we've done. We've launched into different kinds of adventures. And I, 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 really, uh, I really think that, that people can have that sort of clean, consistent design line and not feel the necessity to experiment and create some, a visually new universe every time. It's just, I think that's really appealing to me. I've never really managed to do it myself.
0: <laughs> See, but then you start to get typecast and you become like Chuck Norris in movies. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> Next question for you, hypothetical. You could meet any inventor, entrepreneur, designer throughout history. Who would you want to meet and what would you talk to him about?
1: That's a tricky question, man. I think most people right now would probably like to hang out with guys like Elon Musk or even if you go back, some of the, the, the cooler inventors like Tesla and all this, like his legacy. I think I'd like to hang out with some of the physicists rather than sort of entrepreneurs. Danish guy like Niels Bohr would be pretty interesting to, uh, to talk to. Pretty tough question. There's a lot of people that I'd love to hang out with if I could
0: choose. <laughs> oh, it's, it's an impossible question. That's the point, just yeah. to get you thinking.
1: So we Richard talk- Feynman would probably be. Richard Feynman. I'd love to, I'd love to have a, a whiskey with that guy.
0: Who's he? Never heard the name before. Richard Feynman, he was a, he's, he's a pretty famous
1: physicist. He wrote, actually not sure if he actually wrote it, but it's based on his memoirs, called, a book called Surely you, you Must Be Joking, Mr. Feynman. Pretty cool book. He's a pretty cool guy.
0: I will have to check him out. That's a new one for yeah. me. And my next question for you. So, Michael, this is Art of the Kickstart, which means we love Kickstarter crowdfunding and making amazing things happen. Have there been any Kickstarter or crowdfunding campaigns out there that motivated you guys before you came to Kickstarter? Things that you got pumped up about that you just want to share?
1: I don't think that our Kickstarter, as such, was inspired by any other particular Kickstarter. I mean, personally, I've spent way too much money on backing games. On I'm ai love playing computer games, and I've ba- I must have backed uh, yeah way too many games. But I think if I had to choose like one of those to enjoy and still enjoy following a guy called John Schaefer and he's building a game called At The Gates and he, he's actually the lead designer on a little game called Civilization 5. am not sure if you've heard of it. but Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so he was the lead designer. He left and he built, he built his own company and he actually did a Kickstarter campaign for his new it's, it's a 4X game similar to Civilization but completely different scope obviously called At The Gates and it's the campaign is over now, but it's been a, a joy just to follow him. I mean, I, I, I also build games for a living. And as a game designer, he's pretty cool. And he's, he's very good at bringing people along for the ride. So he does these really in-depth descriptions about what, how he arrived or what he scrapped from his game design and what worked and what didn't work. And, and I love stuff like that. I, I also feel like if you want to talk inspiration, if you want to tie, tie it into the, the Moto campaign, I feel like that's one of the things that we we did really well, and that I'm actually the most proud of is that we we did sort of a range of behind the scenes videos that people could uh, so people could sort of we brought people places. We we actually we got video footage from the factories in China, and we're doing a lot of stuff here in Copenhagen. And it was just these little candid videos where we we talk to the camera and we tell about all the the pains of building this thing, and just bringing people along for the ride. I think is a really important step that a lot of people overlook. I think it's kind of like it's what you take on when you do a Kickstarter campaign. You sort of have a, you have it's your kind of your job to show other people and inspire other people how things are made. And I think John Schaefer is doing that. And I I do think to some extent we did that with the Moto.
0: Guys, I hope you were paying attention to that and taking notes. It is so true. Kickstarter, anything where you're a startup, you tell that story, share it with people. That's how you're going to build trust with them, and that's how you're going to get them interested in what you're doing. And I also think game designers don't get enough credit as well. They are great storytellers, just like animators. But last question of the launch round. It has to deal with stories, has to deal with books. Have there been any business books or books in general that had a real influential effect on you in your life?
1: Hmm. I mean, generally, I dislike business books. I think it's pretty hard to sometimes distill all that stuff that goes into a, a book and tries to sort of try to bring that intangible knowledge uh, onto another person i have read i mean i enjoyed uh, tim Ferriss's uh, four-hour work week and seeing as you are recording this from thailand i could imagine that you probably also read that book but <laughs> but uh but the his uh, it's, it's not that so much that i think that i necessarily try to live up to the stuff that he writes in his four-hour work week uh, book it's more that it just kind of opened my eyes to other ways of working and uh, i recently also read a book called console wars which was a again it's not a classic business book it's sort of a breakdown of the sega and nintendo wars in the the 80s and the 90s which is uh, for a kid of the 80s it's really cool because you were kind of in the middle of that without knowing it so i can i can highly recommend that business books as such i don't i try not to i i, I try not to read too much business literature i, I, I looking over my goodreads list here i, I do have some but i not none that i feel like highlighting as such i want to add though that I've started listening to audiobooks, and I actually think that's a really cool way of doing it because I, have, I recently became a father. and I have uh, less and less time to actually sit down and read a book, even though I really enjoy that experience. It's usually only when I'm traveling that I actually do that. So, but I bike a lot to and from work, so I, and I, I make it a habit of sort of listening to new stuff, li- listens to a, a lot of different audiobooks from, from Audible. Pretty cool place.
0: Audiobooks and podcasts are absolutely the way to go. If you want to get information, you don't have time. And actually, yes. Michael, if you or if any of the listeners go to kickstart.com slash Audible, you get a free audiobook. I get 15 bucks. It's a win-win situation. Either way, don't worry about it. But let's jump back to you guys, back to the campaign. So I got two last questions. First, what would you do differently? What would you change if you were launching again today? I'm sure you learned from your first campaign.
1: Absolutely. It's a rather long laundry list. I think let's, let's just focus on two things. On the product side of things... I would uh, we spent we spent a lot of time changing because the, the the scope of our product completely exploded. We asked for uh, thirty five thousand u s dollars and we got about ten times as much. so the actual product needed to change the, the factory that we needed to build it in needed to change and everything just kind of blew up and what I probably would have done differently is I would have brought that that new product we changed the materials of the product, for example, there was supposed to be a plastic version of the moto and a metal. The version now they're all metal. One is painted and one is anodized. And some of these things and, and these changes, I would have loved to not do them overseas. Done those closer to home because I think we would have made up some time there. So it's just waiting for samples in hardware production that gets shipped and it takes weeks, and it was painstakingly slow and really frustrating to work with. So that's what I would want to done differently on the product side. So prototype near to home where you can sort of overlook the process on the campaign side i think i would probably i mean i'm a guy who i probably i think i read every single comment that our kickstarter page and i think i tallied it at one point to being in just a month of the campaign it was more than there's more than 30,000 comments that we got and we the team read everything and i feel like that had a big emotional impact on me i would probably try to be a little less transparent i know that's something that people don't usually talk about or or say but it it was i think actually running the campaign was really emotionally hard because it's i could imagine it's a bit like being a politician all of a sudden all these people kind of move into your life and they have an opinion on you your team and the product you're building and the vision that you're sort of outlining, and the stories that you're telling and they will a lot of people will spend quite a lot of energy trying maybe i don't know if they do it on purpose but they'll misunderstand you and they'll that there's this communication gap between creator and backer and that's really hard to navigate and uh, and I think I just put maybe a little too much soul into that and I, I think that kind of took it out I remember when we launched it in Christmas of 2013 i didn't I spend most of my Christmas just answering backer support mail and people who misunderstood stuff and also uh, happy people obviously this, this, but for every ten great comments I could read one negative comment and my day would just be ruined and that's kind of how I'm wired and I think most people are. So yeah, maybe try – when you go into this, know that it can be sort of an emotional roller rollercoaster. You're kind of – you're opening your, your heart a little bit to all these people and know that it can take a big toll on a small team to do something that's very, very public.
0: It is so hard and it is the human psychology. You get that one negative comment and it gets rid of the 10, 15 that you've already heard that were positive. It's just kind of how yeah. people are wired. You got to try to overcome it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And Michael, you've been an absolutely awesome guest. I want to let you, let you get back to your family, back to the business more like it, because <laughs> of the time zone. But my question for you, before I let you go, one piece of advice for inventors, entrepreneurs, what would you tell them?
1: I get to, I get the, I have the privilege of, of talking to a lot of people who are starting their businesses for the first time or want, want to start their businesses, both in extension of my own sort of talks that I give here uh, uh, in Denmark and, and, and other places. But also, in a sense, I've worked as a judge for an initiative that's called the Venture Cop here in Denmark that helps students sort of start businesses. So I think I'd like to think that we're all, like, and most of the people on my team, really invested in sort of the, the industry of starting businesses and all this stuff. And this, the thing, the one thing that I keep hearing again and again is that we're really good at making excuses for ourselves to not get started with things. So it's. It, Usually the most common one I hear is that I'm looking to start this business, but I haven't just kind of found the right angle or the right idea. And I think that there exists sort of this glorification of ideas in the society. At least in Denmark, there's sort of this idea that we're supposed to be the, I think they call it the idea society as cheaper labor is moving abroad and all that stuff. I I imagine uh, similar tangents is going on in other Western countries. And I just think that's a load of bull, really, because... There's no really, there's no best ideas. It's really not about the ideas. Ideas are a dime a dozen. Everybody has ideas. And I think that it's more about just getting started with something. Your idea will most likely change when you start working on it anyways. And it's very easy to sort of look at these big corporations or success stories. And this guy, he had the idea of Facebook or whatever. And it might not have started that. Well, we know it didn't start that way you need to you need to deconstruct these things. It's easy to look at the success and try to sort of back trail, but don't do that. Just, is there something that you're passionate about? Start doing it today. Just get started. Don't wait around for like the perfect idea or the eureka moment. It'll only come if you start working on it and it'll probably pivot 10 times before you actually arrive at it. So yeah, get started.
0: It's all about fun and execution is everything. You just gave us a clinic on how to start an awesome business. Seriously, you did a great job, Michael. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on. I got to give That's you a right. chance now. Pitch the product, pitch the business. Where can people come see you, talk to you, meet you, this, that, and the well, other?
1: Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Flarup, F-L-A-R-U-P. And just to correct that initial mistake, in Danish, it's Flarup. You can try that. That's what I pizza. was trying to say, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. missed the mark by a little bit.
1: And then we have RoboCat is at r-o-b-o dot c-a-t so robot.cat. Uh, it has a couple of our cool adventures and yeah journeys that we've been on a couple of products that we've made and uh, obviously the subject of today uh, Thomoto at uh, thomoto.com where you can, uh, you can you can buy Thomotos and you can also dive into at themoto.com slash videos you can dive into some of those behind the scenes videos that we produced during the one year craziness of building this thing and uh, I highly recommend that if you're about to launch your own Kickstarter campaign just to Sort of get some insight into how it could be done. So I think that's all.
0: I'm going to highly recommend that, guys, as well. Or at the very least, reach out to Michael, tell him thanks for coming on the program, and make sure to check out this logo because it's absolutely awesome. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on today, Michael. You've been such a great guest. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks. Hey, guys, I'm your host, Matt Ward, and I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Art of the Kickstart where we believe inventors, innovators, and entrepreneurs are changing the world and bringing humanity forward into the future. If you liked the ideas in this episode, or you're interested in learning more about crowdfunding and how to kill it with your own Kickstarter campaign, you can check out more at artofthekickstart.com. And if you've been listening to the show, love the episodes, but you're not subscribed, that's got to change. You can go to artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes or slash Stitcher And get the episodes delivered magically to your phone. And if you like this show, I would love you forever if you leave a review on iTunes. It helps more aspiring inventors and creators out there find the show and find the information they need to kill it on Kickstarter. Until next time, thanks for tuning in, guys, and have an absolutely epic day.